Good to see y'all. Good morning. Hey, let's go ahead and get to work. If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, you can uh, begin to make your way to Matthew chapter 6 is where we're going to camp out today. We are on uh, this third week of this series called Margin. Uh, It was just a way of of me kind of unpacking my sabbatical and and saying, hey, we actually all need this. We all need some margin in our lives. Life is better with with margin in in every area, relationally, financially, work, uh, in every area. We we need margin to thrive. And so we've defined margin like this. Margin is this space between our current pace and our limits. The space between our current pace and our limits. And we said, uh, it's in the margin of our lives that the best things happen. It's in the margin of our lives that we get to experience the presence and power of God uh, working out. So we're not hurried. We're not rushed. We're not stressed. We're not uh, distracted. But, but we have some, some pace to our lives. And so that's what we've been looking at. Last week, we looked at our time. We said our time is limited. It is precious. Therefore, be very careful how you spend your time. Paul said, uh, be wise in the way that you spend your time. So, so today we're going to talk about Jesus' favorite subject. Scholars tell us that in the Gospels, he, he speaks on this subject about 15% of the time when he's teaching, he's speaking on this subject. You're like, oh no, what is it? Uh, the, the thing that Jesus talks about more than any other subject, more than heaven and hell combined, would be your money. And some of you are visiting or some of you brought a friend and some of you are just like, oh gosh, uh, well, I'm gonna, let, me just re- let me just have you rest assured. I don't want anything from you, but, but I do want something for you. And, and that should already cause a question in our mind. Why in the world would Jesus spend the bulk of his teaching on money? And he'll, he'll answer that in this passage in Matthew chapter 6 as we continue. But if you go way back when uh, the Earth's crust was cooling, I, I, w- I went to Colorado State University, and uh, I decided I had to—I I was a new believer, and I—I I needed to pick a, a degree. And uh, my 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 pr- primary category for what degree I was going to pursue was this: which degree can I get where I write the least amount of papers? I hate writing papers. And so um, little did I know that, that I would go on to seminary and write like three or four papers a day, uh, not a day, a week, and, and that just killed me. And, and little did I know after that, I, I would, uh, I would I'd basically write a paper every week and then present it orally to everybody, and you will all grade me, and you know you do, and you'll talk about it, and you'll like, I give them a C. Uh, it, it was, I don't know how many more D sermons we can have, and still go, like... I hate that, but nevertheless, at, at the time, maybe it was good, I, I, I got a little break. So I said, you know what degree? Economics. I'm going to get a degree in econ. Uh, I, I kind of like the, the, those things. And, and it was a bunch of charts and graphs. Like, I can do those all day. I, I'm a conceptual guy. I, I know elasticity and all these things. Like, so I, I could do charts and graphs on tests all day long, knock that out, and go home. Well, as I left Colorado State, I decided, yeah, I do want to pursue being a pastor. So I went to Denver Seminary, but I wanted to kind of use that degree a little bit. So I entered the financial services world, uh, became a financial advisor for a while. And um, while I was trying to teach others, God was teaching me. And, And one of the things I learned is in your lifetime, your, your money either is going to work for you or it's going to work against you. 
I mean, this is very simple. It's going to work for you. Uh, you're going to learn how to uh, use it wisely. You're going to learn how to invest, and, and it's going to multiply for you. Or you're going to go into debt, and it's just going to become this increasing burden and weight on your life that then begins to spin out into every area of your life. Now, now that's true worldly. That's true of your next 30, 40, 50 years. And that's, that we should all learn that. Like, like you should learn that, and, and it matters. But Jesus is going to say, oh, oh it's, th- this thing about money is far, far deeper than that. I'm far more concerned uh, than, than just the next 50 years. I, I have something that, that I'm working in your life that, that affects you for the next 50 million years and beyond. And so Jesus begins to uh, show us why he talks so much uh, about money. Look at Ma- uh, Matthew chapter 6. We'll pick it up in verse 19. This is the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It's kind of the quintessential teaching of what we've been talking about. When Jesus says, my, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, he says, this is what it looks like to live life in the kingdom of God in step with the Son of God. And so um, he begins to teach in his most kind of comprehensive teaching on money. And we'll see why he talks about it so much. Let's pick it up in verse 19. I ask you to listen carefully. This is God's word. He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. And he answers the question, Why? It says, because where moths and vermin destroy and thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So he says a couple things. He's like, first of all, uh, if your whole life financially and otherwise is so centered on this world and you're making all the investments here, he said, they're at risk. I mean, back then it was vermin and moth and rust. Now it's just uh, corrupt CEOs and the stock market could crash or, or the economy could turn. He says, it's just a very insecure way. So, so he has your best interest. But more than that, he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And we hate this truth. We hate this truth, but we know this truth. Jesus says, you want to do a spiritual MRI on your life? There, there is just something about your heart, my heart, and our money that is so closely tied together that, that we cannot separate the two. And so he says, if you really want to know, if you really want to know me as Lord and Savior, let, let's, let's look at your, 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 your day timer and your, your checkbook. That, that'll really kind of begin to sift you out. And again, that makes us feel uh, uncomfortable. But he says, you cannot, you, uh, well, that, that's, I'm jumping, jumping ahead of myself. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's just tied together. And we hate that, but, but actually he's telling us good news. He's actually showing us that, that we can look at, at our, our hearts by the way we look at our money and see, do we really believe? Do, do we really believe that he is king of all and that he is over all? Uh, when, my, when my children were young, I decided, hey, Jesus talks so much about this that I, I need to... Part of discipleship of them would be to help them understand money. And so uh, we decided, and, and we didn't make a lot of money. We were missionaries in Japan at the time. And so we, we just said, uh, here's what we're going to do. For, for whatever their age is, we're going to give them three times their age per month. So if you're 10 years old, you're going to get $30 a month. And you, you would come to, and if it was your birthday, you got double. So that was a little bonus. But uh, you, you would come to my office. They would come to my office on the first of every month. And, and if they're seven years old, they're getting $21. 
dollars and, and so on and so forth. And, and we'd sit down with them and I would say, okay, you know what we do? What do we do? And they're like, we got to give, we got to save, and, and then we can spend. I'm like, that's right. We got to give, we can save and spend. So I'd be like, okay, here's your $30. And, and what, what do you want to do? You, those are the categories where you need to start to think about this. And, and so they would be like, hmm, $30. Uh, I'll give 15 And I'd be like, on the one hand, I was conflicted. I was like, man, that's awesome. They're so generous. On the other hand, I was like, oh, I don't think I'm doing my job. Like, I don't think they really get it. Like, they're gonna, and so I'd be like, okay, that's, that's very nice, honey. That's, that's great. You can do that. You know, uh, $10 would be 33%. You could do that. And they're like, okay, $10. Um, but even so, I was like, oh, you know, if you, that's great. If you, if you save that, that, if you give that and then you save that and you only have this much left over, that's all you're going to have when we go to the store. You know that, right? And they're like, yeah, yeah, that's good. And, and this, this wasn't just the first month. Like it, it was month after month after month. And, and, and I was like, each time I'd be like, man, I, I, am I doing something wrong? And then I began to realize I thought I was discipling my children. They were discipling me. Because here's the deal. They understood as that their mother and, and their father cared for them and provided for them and wanted the best for them. And, and they weren't lacking in anything, so they could be just wildly generous. And each time as they said, no, I'm going to save, a, I'm going to give a third, I'm going to give half. Each time it was as, as if God was saying to me, Mark, are you going to trust me in the same way that your children trust you as a father? Am I not a better father than you, Mark? <laughs> Like, yes. Have I not provided for you? Have I not even given you more than you need and, and to enjoy just like you've done for your children? I'm like, yes. So, so it became this like, oh gosh, they're discipling me. I thought I was doing something. And, and it's so often the case in parenting. They're really doing something for you. Uh, but the, that, that was what was happening to me. So I want to just talk about this, do a deep dive here on this passage for a moment here. Hey, here's something that no one's going to tell you, and you're going to know it intuitively, but we don't think it. So we just live. Uh, there, there is a difference between standard of living and quality of life, right? So I'll put that on. So standard of living does not equal quality of life. Even though everything in our culture, even in our own hearts, in our own minds, believes that standard of living and quality of life are the same. If I expand my standard of living, if I get a nicer house, if I drive nicer cars, if I go on better vacations, if I eat at better restaurants, then my quality of life is going to increase with that. And we just believe this intuitively, but, but we start to think, actually, no, we, we know that's not true. Some of you are living in the nicest house you've ever lived in, and, and you, the quality of life isn't quite where you wanted it to be. So some of you are, 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 are doing things that you never thought you'd be able to do, and yet there's stress, there's anxiety, there's arguments. I mean, what, what do you think God cares most about in this? God who is from everlasting to everlasting, who has all things, there's nothing you can give to him that he would be in your debt. Uh, what do you think God cares about in your life? Well, of course he cares about our quality of life more than that. But, but we, we like to raise our standard of living, and you can raise your standard of living, right? See, last week we said, you can't have any more time, but you can raise your money by debt. It, it, you, you can raise your standard of living by just increasing your debt, but to raise your quality of life, that requires discipline. And we don't like discipline. But, but God is concerned about our quality of life. Jesus said, I've come that you may have life and have it to the full. That's a quality of life issue. Or put it, put it another way. Would you rather have an awesome marriage 
or a really, really terrible marriage with cool cars, right? And some of you live, are living out this way, right? Like, like, I've got the coolest car I've ever had, and I don't want to go home. And when the garage goes up, she hides because we have a high, high standard of living, but we don't have a quality of life. Here's three things I know about you. You are living on a percentage of your income. Okay, I didn't see anyone write that down. You know that, you know that to be true. We're all living on a percentage of our income. But you probably don't know what it is. And you probably didn't set what that would be. Because if we don't, just, just like with our time, if we don't determine how we're going to spend our time between us and God, someone or something else is going to determine that for us. And no offense to realtors or car dealers or banks or credit card companies, they, they want you to just take it to the limit. They, they want you to squeeze out the margin as thin as possible because that's what's in it for them. And we go along with that. You're like, yeah, I would like that. I would like that thing. Uh, let's just close the margin just a little bit more, just a little bit more. So you're living on a percentage of your income. Now, the second thing I know about you is if you had just a little bit more, you'd be fine. No, no matter where you're at, if you had just a little bit more, you would be fine. Uh, one time when Rockefeller, who was the richest man on the, in the world, I think at the time, uh, uh, a reporter asked him a question, how much more money would be enough? He said, just a little bit more. We, we all believe that, right? So that leads to the third one. Uh, you felt the same way when you made a lot less. When you were making 20000 a year, you're like, if I could make 25000 a year, man, I would be good. When you were making 100000 you'll be like, $120,000. I feel, I feel good. When you're making 200000 you're like, $210,000. That, that, that would be the margin that I need. And some of you making 50, think about, man, if I was making 150,000, I'd have parties. I'd be throwing money out the window. Like this would be crazy, but, but we, we don't. Why? Well, let me, let me tap into my econ degree for a moment. So I'm going to have a chart up here. So I, could, I mean, I, I'm going to make this as simple as possible. This is just how, how my brain works. So we've got money on the left as it goes up. We've got time on the right as it goes. And so for most of us, for, for the average uh, American, it's going to go like this over time. So next one. Okay. So that, again, you're like, oh, that's too steep. Or n- None of it ever goes straight like that. It can go up and it can go down. Some of you are flatlined. Like it's... But, but you get it, right? Like I'm just being, a, it's an illustration. So I'm just trying to, like over time, this, now in an ideal world, in a margin-filled world, uh, our life would look like this. Our spending would, would go like this, next one, and then our margin would be the gap, next one. So this would be an ideal world. So over time, you're making more money, you're spending more money, but, but there's an increasing gap, an increasing margin. And in that margin, there's room to breathe. You're not having arguments about finances. You're not stressed in your relationships. You get to say, hey, we have some margin. Maybe we could go on that trip. We have some margin. There's this opportunity to invest in the kingdom. Maybe we could invest in this way in the kingdom. This would be an ideal world. In fact, even if you're not a believer, if you want nothing else in this sermon, if you have to leave early, you should do whatever is legally possible to get your life to reflect this. Because life is better in the margin, Right? Now, unfortunately, for most of us, this is the, what it looks like. As our income goes up, our spending goes up, 
Right? You're like, you make 100,000 a year, you'll spend 100,000. Make 150, spend 150. Make 200, spend 250. Now, now, here's the deal. Because there's no margin, it doesn't matter where you're at on that, on that scale. Uh, when there's no margin, there's anxiety, there's stress, there, there's pressure, there's, there's pain. And so whether you're making 20000 or 200000 a year, if you have no margin, your quality of life is low because, because of all those other factors. But, but we've just kind of bought into the lie that this is what it should look like. Uh, and then some of us, as the economy turns, I actually had a slide, but it's not there. We'll just leave this one up here. The econ- no, go back to that one. That one. Okay. You know, you know what happens, right? Like the economy never looks like this, right? Things turn, sales go down, stock market plummets, the green line goes below the red line, and now you're upside down. And, and financial problems always become relationship problems. It just does. And because you have, have no margin in your life, uh, you, you, become, you feel the kind of bondage that, that it is. And it's a bondage. And that bondage spins out. There's a financial bondage. You, you don't get to determine your financial direction. Uh, the, the credit card company's calling or the mortgage is saying, you can't do that. You can't have that. You owe us this. And you're just trying to get by. There's an emotional bondage because you're just worried and you're tense and you're losing sleep. That There's a relational bondage because now everything, the pressure cooker of that is making you insane. And, and you're fighting about money all the time. There's bondage. Now, on the one hand, as I, as I talk about this, this, this is a, a big deal. But Jesus says it's actually a bigger deal than just that. It's a bigger deal than just the kind of bondage that I just described. Look at look what he says here in verse 24. He says, now, no one, not you, not me, no one can serve two masters. He says, either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot, cannot serve both God and money. You cannot. Jesus said earlier, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You say, well, no, no, no. Don't you think Jesus meant you cannot serve God and the devil? No, that's not what he said. Because he knows that money has this tendency to be Lord. If you have no margin or if you're even upside down, it's going to be Lord of your life. It's going to determine uh, your life. It's going to affect you. You cannot. This is a really, really big deal. This is why I said it has eternal implications. This is why Jesus ties money and your heart together. This is a really big deal if you're a believer because there's eternal implications. You cannot have Jesus as Lord and money as Lord at the same time. Oh, we could come in here and sing songs and feel emotional, maybe shed a tear. And Jesus is going to say, I'm not your Lord. Your money is your Lord. And you've spent your way, you've been undisciplined, you've gone in debt in, your, in a way to make that your Lord. And, 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 and the, the, the scariest thing about this is the Bible is very clear. If Jesus isn't Lord, then he's not, not Lord. If he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord of all of your life. So he says there's some real heavy implications here. No one can serve two masters. So if, you're, if money is your master, you, you just cannot have Jesus as your master. Why? Because Jesus said, look, I, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Um, I want you to be radically generous people. I want you to invest in the kingdom. I want you to do, do these things. But you, you can't. You can't. You can't obey Jesus as the Lord in that area. 
Jesus says, I, I want to be Lord of your emotional life. And in this passage, he's like, do not worry, do not worry, do not worry. But if money is your master, that's all you're doing is worrying, anxiety, stress. Jesus says, money is your master. Why don't you let me be your master? Relationally, Jesus, it's very hard to do the one another's of the New Testament, the 58 one another's, love one another, serve one another, care for one another, provide for one another, so on and so forth. It's very, very hard to do that if this is what your life looks like or if you're upside down. You just don't have time. You don't have, you don't have space. You don't have margin in your life to do the one another's. This is why Jesus says, this is a big deal. This is why he spends 15% of his ministry talking about money. Because we can fool ourselves thinking, yeah, we're good with Jesus, but live our lives like the rest of the world, in debt and enslaved to something and someone other than Jesus. So this is a big, big deal. We cannot have two masters. Well, thankfully, Jesus gives us a path. Okay, I don't want to be like this. What, what do we do? How do we, how, how do we actually set apart Christ as Lord in our life? We'll drop down to verse 31. He, get, he starts to give us a path. He says, so, he's kind of talking about worrying and, and how worrying and money is all tied together. And he starts to point out, look, look, God knows. God's in control. God's sovereign. Verse 31. So, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? Listen to what he says. He says, for the pagans run after all these things. So, so he's like, when, when we're worried, when we're enslaved to uh, our finances, to money, and, and we're just like, hey, what am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? What am I going to wear? What am I going to drive? What am I going to retire? Where, what am I going to vacation? If this is consuming all of us, he says, you're actually living like and acting like pagans. You're acting like and living like unbelievers. Again, to live like, act like an unbeliever is not conducive, it's not uh, consistent with Jesus as Lord. So he says, don't be like an unbeliever. And then he points us to something. He says, your heavenly father knows what you need. So he doesn't just say, God knows what you need. Look what Jesus did here. It says, there, you have a heavenly father. Well, how do we have a heavenly father? Jesus is doing what we must always do. He's reminding them. He's reminding us of the gospel. We have a heavenly father. We get to have a relationship with God because he's pointing out that God has not forsaken us or forgotten us. While we rebelled from him and we served other things and bowed down to other gods, he came and he pursued us. He has taught us the way of life and he has shown us the way of life. He has paid for our life by his blood on the cross. And he says, remember who you are. Remember what I've done for you. Remember that I'm for you and not against you. Lift your eyes in prayer. Lift your eyes in worship. Gather together and remember the gospel. Do it weekly and do it daily. Because this is the only way in a world of pressure and stress and telling you, you should max out everything. You've got to turn to me in faith. And I'm here for you. I've provided for you. I've died for you. I I will provide for you. I am providing for you. And I will always provide to you, for you. We need to remember the gospel because we forget. We don't lift our eyes. We look at the things of the world. The commercials do entice us. And we give ourselves to slavery to, thing, to someone that, something that is not our Lord and Master Jesus. 
And, and so Jesus says, listen, remember the gospel. And he says this in verse 33. It's kind of the, the thesis of his whole sermon, the big idea of the Sermon on the Mount and the entire book of Matthew. He says this, but you, son, daughter of the kingdom, you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you. I love the phrase, seek first. It can be translated, seek only. Seek primarily. Another way to put this is, you and I become kingdom obsessed. Make this thing the, the primary pursuit of our lives. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. God knows your needs. God is, is concerned about your quality of life. He doesn't think you necessarily have to drive the, the nicest car or live in the biggest house, but, but he knows you need to lay your head somewhere. He knows you need to eat something. And he's far more concerned about your spiritual state forever and ever than what we are week to week, month to month. So how do we do this? Well, I, I'm going to give you a few, um, few steps. Now, before I do that, I just want to say something. No one lives their life by steps, so I get it. These are lame. So you can check out now if you want. Steps are lame. But everyone that I know that has um, financial margin, everyone that I know that, that has some, some peace in their life in this area, they, they've done these things. And so take it for what you will. So the, number one, what we need to decide. So this is, this is very simple. Uh, you, you know, us. It, you, uh, we got into debt because of a lack of discipline. We, we, we just know. And, and that's, it's not hard to decide, right? Like, we know that we should eat better. We know we should exercise. Like, it's not like, oh, what do I do? You know, like, we, we all know we could. But, but you have to come to a point where we decide. And so when Jesus says, seek first the kingdom, we, we, the, the first step is like, okay, I'm going to decide to make the kingdom the priority of my life. So, so you got to decide. Now, here's, here's what I would encourage Americans to do. Jesus talked about money so much because he knows it's tied to your heart and there's spiritual, eternal implications. I would encourage you, if you're serious about this, one or two brothers or sisters in your life should know how much you make and where your money goes. You're like, oh, no, no, I can't do that. Why not? If we're really for each other, and we're eternal, immortal beings that will spend forever in the kingdom, why shouldn't some people know? Because here's what's going to happen. They're going to expose some idols. And that's good. Like, that's good. We can be like, oh, I, I was living for this, but, but now I'm going to go show my friend my budget. I'm going to show him my account. What are they going to say? They're going to say, hey, you should probably live more for the kingdom. That's what they're going to say. So, but we have to decide. It's not easy. Just like working out or eating better, it's better if you do it together. So we need to decide. Number two, we need to determine a financial margin goal. So you could do that in your seat right now. How, how much margin do you want? You're like, well, I don't have any space. No, I, I, I get that. But, but in an ideal world, how much margin? Would you want $1,000 a month at the end of the month? Would you want 3%, 5%? You just got to pick a goal. You're like, but I could never get there. That's okay. If you don't have a goal, you'll never get there anyway. So you, you got to pick a goal. Pick a goal. What do you want to have margin in your life? Number three, you need to deduce. See what I'm doing here? You need to deduce where your money is going. This is the greatest financial practice you could do. Everybody should be a knowing where your money is going, right? So 
Jesus' predominant teaching outside of Matthew 6 on money is simply this. You and I are stewards of God. And whatever he gives us, we will give an account for. It's not ours, it's his. Now he lets us live off of it, he lets us enjoy some of it, but in the end, the primary teaching of Jesus is you are a steward and you need to know. So as a steward, or when I was a financial advisor, someone couldn't just bring me a million dollars, come back six months later and be like, I don't know what happened to it. No, you have to know. So you've got to keep track. You've got to get out an Excel spreadsheet. There's lots of good apps. Uh, we, we, Jennifer and I in our marriage have been doing this for 23 years. Every time we spend anything, I bought a Coke, 57 cents. Like, we keep track of it. We use an app called Good Budget. Uh, there's You Need a Budget. There's, uh, there's Some of you have some other ones out there. Every dollar. Okay, so in some way, shape, or form, you should just know where the money's going. You'd be amazed how much margin you'll get in your life by simply tracking where your money's going. The fact that you have to enter it in will make you spend less. <laughs> You're like, oh, man, I don't, I don't really need this. So you need to know where your money's going. Number four, you need to develop a lifestyle reduction plan. So as you've tracked for two months where your money's going, now look back on that. If you have no margin or if you want more margin, you look back on that and say, okay, this is where my money's going. What can I take out to get that margin back? What subscriptions do I need to cancel? Oh, do I need to le- take my lunch? Do I need to learn how to cook? Um, I mean, this is, again, this is how we've lived. Like, our kids never see an inside of a restaurant in America. Unless they're, you know, every now and again we, we have to. And they don't know what a Coke is because we're like, you're drinking water. We're like, that's five bucks. Like, I'm not, I'm not spending money on that. But uh, that's just how we've lived to, to get some margin. I'm not saying that's you, but, but in some way, shape, or form, you've got to see what, what do we need to do. And then you, you develop a budget. You begin to say, hey, this, and, and if you've never done a budget, that, that sounds like a re- really restrictive word, but actually it's the most freeing thing ever. Because you're like, in this area, well, you know, we have fun money, for example. Oh, I have, I have $1,000. I can spend that on whatever I want. Like, I feel freedom to do that. But not like, oh, is this going to break the bank? So that's number four. Number five, I know this is not a word, but I had to keep the theme. <laughs> you need to de-debt. You need a plan to get out of debt. You're like, I don't, I don't know. Like, if I was disciplined, I wouldn't be in debt in the first place. But, but okay, here, here's what you're going to do. Today, you're going to drive over to Barnes & Noble. You're going to go pull out, go in the self-help section, the financial section. You're going to pull out Financial Peace Revisited by Dave Ramsey. You're going to go page 67. You're going to sit down and you're going to read that. And you're like, well, I don't have any time margin. I can't. Okay, go there. Take your smartphone that you paid too much money for. Take a picture of it and page 80 and 81 and go back and, and learn the, the, the debt snowball, all that stuff. And when you go, get out of debt, go buy the book. Okay. I think Ramsey would be okay with me saying that. But I'm just saying, like, you got to come up with a plan. you got to come up with a plan to de-debt. Okay, let's go back to that graph, the next graph. Okay, again, in an ideal world, this is what our, our life and our spending looks like. And, and if you're not a Christian, this is a nice to have. If you're a follower of Jesus and you call Jesus your Lord and Savior, this is a must-have. Because it's in the margin of the life that we, of our lives that we experience the presence and power of God. It's in the margin of life where we can breathe and have time to 
pray and relax and have conversations and meals together. It's in the margin that we get to have some fun, but it's also in the margin where we get to, when God brings a a kingdom opportunity in, in front of us, we get to joyfully invest in the kingdom of God. This is a must have. What would this look like? If us as a faith family, this was just the rhythm of our lives. Can you imagine what that would do? In fact, we don't have to imagine. You can read the first four chapters of the book of Acts and see a community that's living like this. They have a high, high quality of life. Their standard of living might be a little bit low. In fact, it was. But they were happy. They had good relationships. No one was, was destitute because they could care for one another. They had enough margin to provide for one another. And, and in their love for one another, in the margin that they had for one another, what happened was others looked in at their community and they're like, I want some of that. How do I join a community like that where there's peace and joy and love and mutual care and the, the 58 one another's of the New Testament commands are being lived out? See, our mission is at stake here. Our mission is at stake. So we can't be like the world. We can't bow down and serve all the things that the world serves and still call ourselves followers of Jesus. So let's ask Jesus to help us with this. Amen? Father, thank you for your word to us this morning. Lord, I pray for, for, for all of us that have just really thin margin right now or maybe are even upside down. God, you... You know the sleepless nights that are represented in this room. You know the anxious relationships that have spun out of that. Lord, I pray for peace in that. Pray, Lord, for hope in that. Lord, we trust that just as you've rescued our life from the mess before, you'd rescue our life from this mess and help us to walk in obedience to you. Help us to decide today to seek first the kingdom and your righteousness and trust you with the results. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.